You're listening to Four at the Back with Joe, Maz, Neil and Pete, where we look back on some of our favourite football sides from the Premier League era. Each week we'll be digging into the archives to look at some of the most memorable teams in both English and world football. We'll have the greats, the overachievers, the heroic near misses and the catastrophic failures to have graced the game over the last 30 years. So what are you waiting for? Turn your collar up like King Eric, grab your replica Mitre Ultimax, relive your youth and let's go with Four at the Back. with us for a few minutes back to the 21st of september 2002 atomic kitten atop of the charts in the uk with the tide is high and steve McManaman is a real madrid player and arsenal the reigning champions and fa cup holders have just beaten bolton wanderers after the game arsene wenger says that his team could theoretically go the whole season unbeaten it's a comment that prompts immediate derision across the entire game the arrogance people said even supporters wondered why you'd want to invite that kind of pressure onto your team and that derision turned to laughter when just a few games later a young wayne rooney condemned arsenal to a late defeat away at everton they'd finished the season in second and a good five points adrift of manchester united and they'd lost no fewer than six times wenger's pronouncement back in september looked like hubris and then the next season came along and no one was laughing at arsene wenger anymore Over 38 games, Arsenal became the first team to go unbeaten in a season of the English top flight since Preston North End way back in 1889, winning 28 and drawing 12 of their games. It's one of the most staggering achievements of the Premier League era, and we may genuinely never see it again in our lifetimes. Now, Maz, to come to you for a moment, the first two Wenger titles had a team that had a lot of continuity to it with that defence and goalkeeper access dating right the way back to the George Graham era. But inevitably, age catch up to everyone. And first, Nigel Winterburn's gone. Then in 2002, Adams and Lee Dixon retire. Martin Keown's not able to play every week anymore. And there was also evidence of David Seaman starting to slow down. So the side is evolving and there's going to be a lot of new players in the mix by the time we get to the Invincible season. But for a second, go back to that stage before that year. How did you feel about the way that Arsenal was shaping up at that initial point in time and can you remember how you felt when Wenger made that bold prediction about going unbeaten it's a strange time for me you know as 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 a fan I'm drifting away which seems really really strange to say you know when when you look at look at the Arsenal team here but you know it, it's it's nothing to do with the football it's nothing to do with the team it's just you know where I am in life where I'm moving to just I I move to Mauritius at the end of this season, the invincible season. Uh, I'd been out there on holiday a couple of times for longish holidays during that point. And yeah, so after 2002, 2002 is the last year that I'm going to watch Arsenal. So I, I watch us wrap up the title that year. I would love to say I watch us wrap up the double, but I was sick as a dog uh cup final weekend and i couldn't go uh, still absolutely gutted by that because 
uh, I was there for the one cup final where we lost uh, in in Cardiff, and I needed to, I needed to put that behind me, and uh, the win against Chelsea in O2 would have certainly done that, but. I could barely get out of bed to watch it on TV. That's how sick I was that weekend. But yeah, so 2000, the 2003 season, I let my season ticket go to somebody else. So I, I wasn't going to watch regularly. I got a couple of games and uh, it lapsed at the end of that year. So I wasn't even a season ticket holder in any way, shape or form in 03, 04. Sadly, um, but, you know, like I say, that's nothing to do with the team. That's just where my fandom was. And, you know, it was it was very intensive through that late 90s era into those first couple of years of the, the new millennium. Um, as for the team, you know, it was changing. It, it, it wasn't the team that, that I'd grown up with. You know, I loved a lot of those players, but it was now very, very much fully Arsene Wenger's team. You know, that 98 team was... Wenger's take on 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 Graham's defence, who who were pretty much doing that by himself. So you know, Wenger Wenger pretty much only had to worry about the top end. And you know, by 2002, it was still growing, but that base was there. And you know, as much as you'd had uh, Sol Campbell come in, and you know, Boldy had moved away, but Keown was still playing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know, the base and the the way that, that team played was still very much that base that, that had been there throughout the 90s. Uh, but yeah, by this time, you know, 04, it, it, it's definitely a new a new time. But, you know, I, I think we've mentioned on this show before that 03 is, is a big, big disappointment. And I don't know how much of that disappointment can be placed at the feet of Wenger, maybe by trying to instill too much confidence into our own teams and overconfidence, maybe, or... Probably more than that would be giving other teams that inspiration to just say, no, no, <laughs> who do you think you are? But 03, we had some phenomenal performances throughout that year, but no consistency. You know, the consistency wasn't there. And I'd say, what, what was the difference? I don't know. I, I'd probably say we enjoyed playing a lot in 2003 and, you know, when we were on on form it was there and it was infectious you know I think back to before the cup final that year when we batted Southampton was it 6-0 in, in it was that 03 one of the six was those six six one six one there you go well it's, it's fingers close like enough six, six one makes sense uh, you know but you know that that was a whole bunch of us that was that was that um Jermaine Pennant hat-trick in that game if I remember rightly uh and Perez got the other hat-trick Right. So, you know, yeah, you've got that level of you know, young players coming through and just like, right, let's, let's have this on our day, but not necessarily doing it every single game. Whereas, you know, the next year we didn't want to be beaten and we weren't going to be beaten and we weren't beaten, which was quite something. And, you know, obviously we'll, we'll discuss uh, as this show goes on, that that season in more detail and, and, and that team and what they were good at and where their strengths were. But that O3 team, you know, uh, not a day goes by. I don't see something on Facebook or Twitter talking about how, how Thierry Henry was robbed of the uh, Ballon d'Or in, in, in O3 and the stats that, that, that kind of prove that fact. But, you know, at the end of the day, 
stats what do they show they 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 can show all the stats they want uh nedved was a serial winner of trophies that year whereas uh Henri was a serial record breaker and at the end of the day trophies matter more uh, i i think so that's where that decision came from uh i'd assume at the end of the day but you know it, it's it was a very good team in 03 and we should have won more than the FA Cup that year. We were good enough. The squad was good enough to there, but something just wasn't quite quite ready. And it, and it, it took that down year from the fantastic team in 02 to you know take that to another level in in 04. So Neil, um, Arsenal in that previous season they got even with four defeats they were still like riding high towards almost the very end of the season and it was actually draws as much as anything in the run-in that seemed to to undo it for them they did lose to Leeds late on and I think they lost to Blackburn as well they got doubled by Blackburn in that season so I guess the the thing I wanted to ask is do you think the main shift from that second that season in the middle there between the two titles do you think that's as much a mentality thing as anything that some of these players coming in were maybe young players and with the experience behind them that gave them the the mental fortitude to go the whole season the next year? I think the big factor in there being a season in between is just the fact that Man United always would get their their pound of flesh eventually, wouldn't they? In that era, I think that. You know, this is always looked on as being a bit of a fallow period for Man United, doesn't it? I mean, the, the fact that, that you have this Arsenal side and then we're about to get Mourinho's Chelsea. And so United aren't winning it every single year, but they still they still have a say, don't they? And I, and I think that United team was still full of, of really, really good players, even though they were rebuilding to a degree. And it was still very tight at the end, I think, wasn't it? I mean... Uh, United won the league with 83 points, um, Arsenal with 78, so it, it's it's pretty fine margins. Newcastle quite a distance behind that, so it's a two-horse race. And yeah, United lost five games, Arsenal six games. It, it it was it was pretty fine margins. I think you're talking about a managerial rivalry, uh, which defines that period of time. You know, from when Wenger arrived. In, in 97 to when pretty much to when Mourinho arrived in, in, in 04 you're kind of looking at that span of time as being the Fergie the Fergie Wenger rivalry and and it was two brilliant football teams duking it out and I think you'll often see Gary Neville Roy Keane Martin Keown you know uh and, you know, gooners in the media, if you like, and, and uh, United players in the media say that those rivalries, those games were the most intense games they played. You know, it's a really interesting interview with Gary Neville where he talks about it was horrible as a right back for about seven or eight years to play against Arsenal because you were just constantly against, you know, Henri and Perez double teaming you on that flank. You're always having to get your uh, right side centre back to come out and help you. Um, otherwise, you're going to look a mug. And and so I think, uh, would anyone predicted Arsenal going unbeaten that season? Probably not, because, you know, you'd always expect them to, to, to lose a game against a title rival uh, somewhere uh, along the line. They'd lost six times the, the, the year before. But I think that season, what I really remember about it is just that at a certain point, they just, 
they just started to develop that aura around them and you really didn't think they were going to lose a game and I remember thinking you know really as early as halfway through that season that they didn't look like losing a game because they were just in absolute you know kind of imperious form and although a lot of people have kind of gone back since and tried to rewrite that legacy and say oh they they draw how many times they draw that season is it they end up drawing like 10 or 12 games yes 12 um a lot (laughs) yeah but but they still win the league by you know 12 or 13 points that season so i think it's a bit of a a bit of a disingenuous thing to say you know that they don't deserve to be lords as one of the great teams because if you watch the football they played that season it was you know it was on another planet so truly a, a, a really great team that just managed to hit their strides at the right time and, and and I guess for some of them you know it's kind of Bergkamp's last hurrah really isn't it his kind of last season as a really you know kind of top top player um Henri in his absolute at his absolute peak you know Sol Campbell's at his absolute peak you know they just managed to kind of blend pretty much everything you got you know Lauren and uh and Ashley Cole coming in as 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 those kind of younger younger faster players um Perez Lundberg as, as as goal scoring wingers were you know never more effective than that season so it's it's a it's a really compelling blend of football players isn't it yeah I mean it, it's just a lot a lot of good players in there and yeah yeah there are a lot of draws but you know these are games that you know, you, you look at all the great teams that, that haven't haven't managed to do that. You know, you you look at the Liverpools and the cities of the most you know, most recent time have not managed to do that. And they just look you know, I mean City look like they're on a different a different planet. Yes, there are times that season, probably more times than some great teams, that where Arsenal didn't get the three points in games where they maybe should have but you know we went 38 games and didn't get done once and for that to happen is 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 really special it's really special you know it, it shows a level of character in a team you know that that's not just good football that's not just you know on rebailing you out every time because you've got a good striker you've you, you have a very very solid back line there and a a relatively new one when you look at like you say look at the the two doubles that have come in the previous uh, six years you know it, it, it's it's a totally different back four with, with you know Campbell, Torre, Lauren and, and Cole. It's interesting looking at the draws actually because I mean if you think about it you know one of them is is that game against United which is one of the really really um memorable games um the the game against united in march which is you know kind of on on re kind of uh bails them out doesn't he um but yeah that's against the, your direct title rival so i mean you, you wouldn't say that that was a bad draw to have the other you know another one is a nil nil against united so that's the one isn't it that that that's that's the tone setter i think for the season you know that that that's the difference maker that's it, it's the big one that one for me the one that makes pushes that over the top is that you've done it away and there's a red card and you you survive all that you still get out of there without giving up the points. I mean that that's why it sets the tone. I think it's just uh, real backs to the wall kind of um, kind of stuff in terms. Well, not maybe backs to the wall isn't the right term, but kind of 
to go to come through all that kind of adversity and still come away with something. There's a couple of bizarre ones, like the nil-nil against Birmingham in, in May. That feels like a that feels like a bizarrely anticlimactic kind of game, but I guess the title was almost kind of sewn up by that point. Yeah, yeah, I guess that, that that's one of those. I mean, you know, I I even think back to you know the the draw with Tottenham. You know, the, the day we did wrap it up. Well, yeah, I guess it's already wrapped up because we won it at the lane, didn't we? Oh, that's so, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we've already wrapped it up. So yeah, I mean, we've we've done three draws and <laughs> and but yeah, you know, it, it's it, it's that Spurs game that's the real one with layman going full crazy late on in the game and like, no, nah, we don't really want to go undefeated. Let, 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 let's mess about here and still getting it across the line just about. But, you know, it, it's like I say, it, it's that thing. There was always that extra little thing there that year that, that stopped us getting beaten when it did look like our backs against the wall. And, you know, like I say, I think I think what really set the zone for that was the Battle of Old Trafford. Uh, that was something else. You mentioned Lehman there. I do remember that as one of the long-running kind of threads because he'd come in that summer, if I recall. Uh, Siemens obviously slowing down dramatically. Go, goes on to Man City for another year or so. But Lehman comes in and one of the constant narratives running through the whole season is that at some point he's going to throw the ball into his net and cost you this unbeaten run. And it never happens. But there was a, a more erratic quality that people perceived in Lehman than they had been in Seaman. They were always drawing this comparison, but I guess in a sense, Lehman was part of that move to playing quote unquote, the Arsenal way. Uh, part of the reason why he's Seaman's heir is also why he displaced Oliver Kahn for the German national team. And I don't think he ever really damaged the team in the way that some of the critics in that season would have led you to believe. I think he did quite well, all in all told. He was brilliant. I mean, he was the one of the original sweeper-keepers. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to say who, you know, I mean, who did invent the sweeper-keeper. I mean, I guess you you can watch games in the 70s where you got certain keepers doing that, but but Lehman was incredibly good at it. Um, And and like you say, he had this really long-running battle with Khan to displace him from the, the, the German team and you know they had uh they had they had different strengths um you know layman's kind of you know i guess continental uh sensibilities as a goalkeeper was i mean i guess it's just you know a british sporting press that was still a bit parochial um and seeming you know obviously even at his age was 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 a kind of national hero but it was kind of all over for Seaman as soon as Ronaldinho floated that one over his head at the World Cup, I think. And he was pretty much shot to bits from there. Um, so, yeah, I think Lehman was a big part of their of their success, really, that season. Um, and certainly mentality-wise and personality-wise, he was kind of ideal, really. Like, you know, you got like, uh, you know, a back, a back four, which is, you know, different to the previous one. You know, you've not got... Tony Adams in there anymore to boss people about so I think Lehman kind of took that role on a little bit because you know Sol Campbell and Colo Torre they are both very good defenders but they weren't necessarily kind of vocal leaders in the way that that, that say Adams had been. No no definitely not and I, I think that's it you know I think it's I, I think the Lehman questions came because it, it's just you come in and replace someone who's been an institution for a club in a position for so long like like Seaman was you know whoever's got to follow that is you're going to ask questions but you know I, I think Dave Seaman was a lot more likely to 
throw something in his own net than Lehman. Lehman was crazy, but, you know, Seaman was always prone to an error, wasn't he? Especially at a big moment, the poor guy. He, he's got a couple of couple of those on his CV, hasn't he? Very, very... He, had a red card. he definitely had a red card. He, he had a red card on him. Yeah, he, he you know, he, he could go and punch Robbie Keane, <laughs> you know, to throw away uh, an undefeated uh, spell. And he gave that one a good go. But yeah, you know, in, in terms of, you know, being a, a, a solid goalkeeper, he, he very much was. And it's different. Like I say, after years of seamen, you're always going to you're always going to wonder what comes next. Uh, that was very poorly worded, but um... <laughs> yeah, this is always the problem we're talking about Arsenal, isn't it? Uh, you're going to run into a lot of these double entendres. Yes, um, but yeah, uh, he came and he did a very good job. You know, probably a shame he didn't do it for. <laughs> he, he he wasn't around for longer, but yeah, I, I, I'm I'm fan of Lehman. There was a, a lot of parallels with the succeeding Seaman as there was in the, I think, in the way that people reacted to him as there was with the succeeding Khan, because for a long time in Germany, right, even up to 2004, Khan is the number one because he's the better shot stopper and people don't get the the idea of a goalkeeper who can play with his feet. You pick your best keeper was the kind of old fashioned attitude. Uh, any younger fans listening to this who are used to, you know, the modern goalkeepers like Neuer and um, Edison and all these kind of types who, who are as much, you know, footballers as they are goalkeepers will be baffled by this concept. But that was the dominant thing. And inevitably goalkeepers who play with their feet are going to make more mistakes. So Lehman made more mistakes in that way. And people reacted to that where they thought you should be playing more conservatively. And it was just an evolution of the game. And I think he was kind of caught up in, in that more than more than having any real kind of error proneness about him. So I think there's a lot of parallels there with that national team situation. Uh, somewhere in there, we spoke about uh, these young players coming through, obviously one that you have to flag up was Torre, Cola Torre signed for the, bargain price of about £150,000. Is that one of the best bits of transfer business the club has ever done? For me, uh, uh, I also think uh, Colotore is part of one of the worst bits of transfer business the club has ever done. So, you know, that, uh, that would be a story for another day, but I absolutely love Colotore. I think he should have spent his career at Arsenal and I think he should be sitting uh, as a coach on that bench right now instead of at Leicester, isn't he? He will be Brendan at, at Leicester. I, I think he's a fantastic player, fantastic spirit. He, for me, Colatore is probably the arse, the last Arsenal player that I really, really had that faith in and saw that spirit which came, which predated Wenger coming through, which I know it's strange to say that because you know he, he he's he's been the player and come through in that era but he he had that he's probably the last of those Arsenal players that had that you know bit of that Tony Adams era about him and you know could understand had that passion had that you know I, I can't I can't say enough good things about um Colatore and when he went to City I was devastated when everyone was getting upset about Adebayor and you know, the whole thing, I was like, Adivoyor could go, you know, give us our money, take him. But getting rid of Torre was, I think, one of Wenger's biggest, biggest mistakes he made as Arsenal boss. So, yes, 100%, 150 grand for that. And, you know, I'm still upset we didn't get his brother as well. 
But that's also another story. Yeah, such an athletic, um, such an athletic back four that wasn't it. I mean, Campbell and Torre was so so quick and so strong. Lauren and Cole, brilliant attacking fullbacks, but they could defend as well. Tactically aware, you know that left hand side of Arsenal that season, Cole, Perez, Henri, they were a nightmare. I mean, they, what would you do? You know, okay, you double up on Cole, uh, on 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 Henri and Perez, and you got Ashley Cole bobbing down the outside. What? How do you stop that? And that was the problem, wasn't it? Yeah, because I mean, you'd have because Henri would drift wide, Perez would cut in. And sometimes Cole would kind of underlap through the middle of them. Um, some of the movement that, that they had was fantastic. And of course, you've got Gilberto and Vieira uh, locking everything down. And I think, you know, there's probably some argument to say that Gilberto and Vieira was was as good as, as, as Petit and Vieira was. You know, obviously Gilberto didn't give you as much going forward as Petit did, but... Um, you know they've they've missed that Gilberto player ever since, haven't they? Like the one thing that Arsenal have been trying to find since that era is actually somebody to just you know sit in and and mop up. You know maybe they found that with, with Thomas Partey if he can stay fit, I suppose. But but they've certainly missed that type of player. I remember a European game when I forget who it was against actually it might have been Juventus, but Gilberto was just like absolutely everywhere and just mopping everything up and just looked like a absolute Rolls Royce of a defensive midfield player. Um, lost, so I was just going to say we've lost track over the uh, the years since just the num- sheer number of people that have had two or three good games and we've been fall uh, people have fallen over themselves to say that they are the heir to that kind of position you know all sorts of people who ended up as non-entities really but that's how much they've been calling out for it. Well quite I think you know that that sort of uh I think most teams have got a position like that, haven't they, where they're they're looking, you know, for the heir to somebody that was enormously effective and wasn't really appreciated until they were gone, you know, because obviously like a Vieira or a or a Roy Keane, you know, they are a once in a generation footballer, but but someone that fulfills that role as effectively as a Gilberto or if you look, you know, at, at Chelsea Real Madrid like a, a Makaleli. They're very, very difficult to, uh, you know, to find. And if you get one, you'd better grab hold of it. Well, again, and it, it's a lot of it was Wenger drifting away from that. You know, that that type of player was no longer his thing. You know, I'm, I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, Gilberto was was a very good passer of the ball and 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 would keep things ticking over in 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 a way a lot of those Wenger midfielders would would be as the years went on. But you know. The, the defensive side to his game, maybe not so much. And you know, as as Pete was saying, you know, we got we got very desperate in that in that um, position over the years, where good good don't get me wrong, decent footballers like Flamini and Coconut was suddenly being regarded as the next coming, and it's like no mate, not a chance. Did, did did you watch those teams come through? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And I think Wenger's recruitment is something that's you know, obviously very widely discussed. I remember we did an episode a while ago about how much the move to the Emirates um, actually influenced that recruitment. But it's interesting that, that even if you look at this, this Invincibles team, it wasn't assembled for loads and loads of money. You know, I mean, who was the most expensive player? 
of that event. I mean, I mean, one hundred and fifty pounds for one hundred fifty thousand for both centre backs. Not too bad, is it? I mean, on, yeah, let's Sorry. not rub in the, the, the Sol Campbell thing. But but like, uh, yeah, it was on re like twelve or fourteen million. That turned out to be a bit yeah, of a bargain, didn't it? Burkamp seven million, was, something it was like faded that. Faded away. You know, both of them faded away in Italy when we bought them. You know. How much? How much was Vieira? Four million. It's just like it wasn't a. It was three and a half. You know, it wasn't money that was the problem with moving to the Emirates. It's like because Wenger didn't spend money putting that. You know, those those other teams together. You know, granted, he inherited a lot of good stuff from the uh, from the kind of uh, Graham and Rioc eras, but he wasn't spending loads of money on the team. And I think a lot of Arsenal fans over the years have have blamed money on their decline and it, and it wasn't that really it's just that the places where Wenger went shopping for his bargains he kind of his hit rate just declined yes he kept finding players but I think the game you know, changed about, as well you know I, I think you couldn't keep stuff secret you know we're talking mm-hmm. about going into an era where there was more and more you know everybody knew <laughs> everybody knew about it you know if you played football manager you, you knew about the next hot 12 year old coming out of Portugal you know it it was a lot harder I think to go out and 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 find uh, an untapped market so to speak mm. uh, at that point and it was really that eerie you know I mean pro- probably the last person to ever do that was probably Fergie with Ronaldo you know mm. find, find this kid at a pre-season friendly let's sign him up Okay. But even even you know, so, you can still you still saw Wenger take on a vast amount of kids from French academies. Oh yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. You know, and yeah. it was still some of them did come off. I mean, you know, had had Nazri and people like that not got incredibly greedy, like they they might be, you know, they might be looked at as uh, as Arsenal legends as well. But it's like, but his hit rate certainly did decline. There's a few what ifs, you know, people like Diaby who. Could have been a world beater, right? But but just didn't just didn't work out for whatever reasons. So yeah. So just gonna say I think there's a couple of reasons declines. One is that he's not the only one doing it after a certain point. You know, he is the first one, and but then you get Ulier in, and he's doing the same thing because he has the same knowledge of young French players from his time with the the FA and uh, or the French FA, I should say. Uh, By the time you get to the mid 2000s, Benitez and Mourinho have got all that kind of continental experience, continental network scouting networks, and they're bringing it in. And then you've got the Chelsea factor and the transfer inflation and the fact that not only do you have Mourinho knowing all these people, but you've got they can go somewhere and earn more money. And I think they get kind of caught in that kind of vortex of the the game had moved on a bit. The league had moved on. Some of the advantages that Wenger had in being the only person in England who seemingly knew who Patrick Vieira was, they weren't there anymore. And so other people could offer these players more. I guess also... Yeah, I guess the difference with Chelsea isn't so much that they uh, went and found a load of players that nobody knew about. It was it was more that they could spend uh, they could spend a load of money on players that people did know about. Um, and actually, smart recruitment and training them up wasn't going to be enough to keep up any anymore. And I guess maybe that's why you know Arsenal fans start talking about the Emirates and start talking about. The lack of money that was spent because you, you you have got this arms race between you know Chelsea who or just buy anyone that's that's kind of had a half decent tournament somewhere um 
and United who are quite happy to go and spend whatever they spent on Wayne Rooney. What was it? 50 million or something? It, it is a bit of both. Uh, you know, uh, I, I think it is a bit of both. I think Wenger was losing his touch a bit. And, you know, even late era Wenger, when, one of the things that really bugged me with late era Wenger was when he'd come out with stuff like, Oh yeah, I, I could have signed Kante, but yeah, I knew about him when he was there. I could have signed him, but yeah, I didn't. Well, you're not doing yourself any favours by admitting that, mate. You know, it, it's you know, it's like well, I could have signed Vieira, but I didn't. I left him at Milan reserves, and then you know he became a United legend instead. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's it's that type of thing. So you you do have to wonder did he lose his touch? But you know, when you look at it, he still nabbed this young kid who's coming through in 2004 and just about to break into the first team um, from Barcelona's youth team, you know, and Fabregas would come on to be one of the, one of the greatest players of his generation. And, you know, again, sadly not for Arsenal as long as maybe it should have been. And, but, you know, it, it's, it's there. We had players coming through. We had world-class players still coming through, you know, Ashley Cole, one of our own at that point in the team that year. And, you know, we, we picked up Torre very young. And so, you know, these people were still there, you know, he, he, he wouldn't be far off going out and picking up, um, you know, Van Persie and, and stuff like this. And, you know, a lot of these players were players that lit the world up immediately. I mean, you know, Van Persie had a good long road to, to, to become a player as good as he eventually did become, you know, and I think, Zinger probably has to take a, a hell of a lot of that credit there. You know, he's taken a, a young kid who was had some talent, a bit of a hothead, and he's moulded him into that great striker that, that's taken over once Sonri had gone and that whole Adebayor situation and whoever else came afterwards. But, you know, it became a leader. But, you know, by that time, the team wasn't the same. And it's understandable that he'd want to move on as... Fabregas did and a, a lot of people did once I guess once Henri and Vieira had gone the the bigger stars started to fade away and, and that's what happened and that's where that appeal started to, to dwindle and you know those titles disappeared the trophies disappeared and yeah it is interesting to think about because Impressive. like like you say those that sort of um next generation coming through like Ivan Purse's as by Oz, I mean he seems like he's a bit of a sort of comedy figure these days, but Bentner at Lord, the time looked like Bentner. a really good, looked like a, yeah, looked, but looked like yeah. a really good player as a young kid. You know, Fabregas, Diaby, like you know, you had you had players that looked really good. Gal Clichy, right? And maybe all they needed was just that that bit of experience in Vieira and Henri to stay. And, and I, I guess you can't blame Henri for thinking, well you know, let me let me play another league, let me play for, a, you know, Barcelona, arguably the biggest club in the world. But but even so, like, you know, has, has you know, had those guys stayed around, maybe that next generation of kids might have stayed together, might have kicked on. And, you know, it'd be more like a rebuild project and they'd have kind of been back up there challenging United and Chelsea. Uh, and I guess, you know, the Benitez, Liverpool would would kind of be in the mix for titles as well. Not that they won one, but they were kind of, you know, there or thereabouts. 
Yeah. But I mean, it, it just didn't you quite just think of how good a Fabregas, a young Fabregas and a, you know, peak for old man Vieira would have been together in that midfield for, you know, three, four years. Yeah, exactly. Because oh. Fabregas held that, that, that watch together, didn't he? And that, that, you think how young he was when he broke through. Like he was kind yeah. of 17, wasn't he? And he, and he, yeah. Yeah. he left it. Yeah, I mean, he played a couple of cup games that, the, in, in the Invincible season and, you know, he left at sort of, you know, his absolute kind of peak, didn't he, to uh, to Barca. But he, I think he, if you look at how many games he played for Arsenal, it's ridiculous. Like, he played, like, the amount of games yeah, he yeah. like, an old so, man to have played. <laughs> yeah, testimonial level for the numbers. Yeah, pretty crazy. Just to cycle back to this, this team for a minute, rather than going into the, the decline of, of uh, some of like what came afterwards. Uh, do you think the this was... Perez's best season for Arsenal. Something like 14 this, goals. Or the one before. His Football of the Year season was the um, the previous title winning campaign, wasn't it? Is that the one that we won Footballer of the Year? Oh, two. Uh, it sounds like it should be, yeah. I think he, because he won, he won the Writers Player of the Year one of those seasons, didn't he? I mean, in terms of goal scoring, I think it was his best season. But in terms of performances, I think the... Uh, uh, the previous title winning season was probably the, the the better of the two. That that was it. He was yeah. He, so the, he he was out for the back end. It was about for the, out for the back end of the double season. And yeah, the that's end of the, that's the yeah, crucial the injury injury season. That um, yeah, he won that, football writers player of the year in o one o two. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It it, it could be. You know. It could be. I, I think there was probably he he was a bigger part of the puzzle. You know, in o one o two, possibly. It's quite an interesting one to uh, think because uh, you, you you think back to what you said about value and him and Lundberg. I think of as two of the most important parts of that team. And combined, I think they cost less than ten million quid. Yeah, Lundberg was ridiculously uh, uh, cheap, wasn't he? We, we got, we got, did, did we get Freddie straight from straight from Sweden, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we got him from Helmstad. I, I remember Freddie's debut like yesterday. He come off the bench and score against United. So like, yeah, okay, yeah, all right. I, I'm down with this kid. Let's see where he goes. And you know, very, very, very likable player was Freddie Lundberg. You know, very hard not to not to immediately take to him. And you know, on, on a on that, on that personal level, I never really took to Perez as fantastic as a player as he was. You know, I, I never had that. You know, when you, you've just got that, that feeling for a player that you just absolutely love him and he could do no wrong. You know, I always found Perez to be a bit of a twat, really. <laughs> never really warmed to him, but, you know, fantastic player. He wonders for us. Where Very much a Spurs player in Arsenal shirt with Perez. <laughs> like, I always thought, like, he's such a... <laughs> there, such, there you go. He's such a Spurs style of footballer. And he was, like, playing for Arsenal. I could never stand it. Um, well, I'll, tell, I'll tell you what it was about Perez that, that I took an immediate... Not disliking to him, but just, uh, I, I remember after he signed, yeah, I mean, he said, "Oh well, yeah, I, I could have signed for Real Madrid, but I wanted to play for me." All right, fuck off, Real Madrid. Then <laughs> well, go away. We're good enough. We don't need you. Bring over Miles back instead. We can fix these knee together with blue tack. <laughs> yeah, the the the, the Perez the but, Perez yeah. versus Overmars one has always been an interesting one, hasn't it? Because Overmars in that '98 season was 
absolutely absurd. Like clutch. pretty much, absolutely, yeah, clutch as well. pretty much won yeah. you the title. If you talk about like you know contributions in key moments, like he was he was brilliant. But in terms of you know Perez at his best, you know he was a playmaker. Very different. Uh, like, uh, it's very uh, different player. Uh, Perez was far, far better footballer than Mark Overmars. That, over, that Overmars burst, that Overmars pace, that Overmars ice cold finishing. You know, could you, could you imagine Overmars in a four-three-three today? Oof. I mean, well, I mean, he he was uh, well, he, at least how he played it, how he played uh, for Holland, wasn't it? You know, four-four-two yeah. for Arsenal, but. Uh, Four three three for Holland, but but yeah, he um, I think I think Perez, you know, he was he was a playmaker, you know, he was so clever positionally. Uh, I think a lot of Henri's success you can attribute to the space that Perez made for him. It's one of those players where, like, what he was doing was like it was not immediately apparent, you know, sort of the naked eye what he was doing, but his his movement was so clever, it just always seemed to leave Henri in absolute acres of space as you say like the interactions with Ashley Cole were really important he would drift you know Perez would drift into midfield and basically just kind of you know sometimes you'd get him a Bergkamp as almost like a sort of two behind uh Henri uh, you know it was unbelievably I, I think that's it football. as well you know I think and, and again that's the difference with Overmars Overmars could just could just run because he had Burkamp in his absolute prime, whereas you know Burkamp didn't need to be in his prime in 02 or 04 because he had Pires in in the team with him who who could do those things. Whereas you know in night in 98, you know Burkamp was pretty much the one man you you'd look to for that that vision that skill. You know we had an aging righty as his partner up front and uh, and stuff like that. You know, you had Parler and, and, and Overmars down the wings. You you had a, an engine room that was all about power and, uh, and running, you know. So Burkamp was the centre of that that universe, you know, that, that, that genius universe that, that brought the whole team together in, in 98, which is why, you know, he was the guy that was lauded as, as player of the year and won everything because he, he he was that genius. But you know, having Pires in there with you down the line, you know, you've got someone else who's got got that skill set, who's got that vision, who's got that ability to do those magical things, you know, uh, and and bring it all together and you know, find your pacey players and find your deadly shooters and find your guys that will just power through down the wing or through the centre of midfield and. He he took on a lot of that load, and you know I don't I don't think that's something that Overmars could could have done. You know we've uh, gone all this time. We haven't uh, we mentioned him in passing, obviously because you can't really go talk about the season for too long without bringing him up. But we barely mentioned in any kind of real way Thierry Henry, and uh, he was absurd this year. It has to be has to be said more than thirty goals, and there was a point after a couple of months into the year where. And I've only done this with a couple of players ever. You get into a rhythm of you have to watch the highlights, not just to find out what happened at the games, but to see what ridiculous feat of skill he's managed to pull off this week. And there was really talk, I remember it quite vividly, of him maybe being like the best player in the world. And, you know, Ronaldinho was obviously another major candidate at the time for that. But 
we hadn't had an awful lot of that in the Premier League at the time. Uh, and I think that's why Henri kind of became the talisman of the season. Maybe not for Arsenal fans watching every week and appreciated some of the more kind of, uh, to borrow Didier Deschamps, a kind of water carrier, uh, kind of ro- carriers of the team. But Henri became a megastar. Uh, in this team on that season and just some of the things that he did to keep some of those results going. Uh, any personal kind of favourite memories of, of things that Henri did to kind of keep that run going? It, it was just, it was, it was, he was breaking different records every week, wasn't he? Every week it was like Henri breaks this record, Henri breaks that record. He was just, you know, I don't, I don't think of individual moments very often with Henri, you know, you just, because, he would do the same thing again and again and again. He'd just, you know, he'd bomb past players. He'd just be so clever with his shooting. What a, what a, what a fantastic player to watch, you know, to see that lightning with... It doesn't happen very often. You, you, you rarely get a player who has that level of pace and that level of smart finishing. You often get one or the other, you know, you get a lot of players like that, but, you know, to get Henri coming through at at, at that point where, you know, really just a couple of years after after Ronaldo, and if he's not coming after Ronaldo, I think historically Henri is is seen even as an even bigger player, but it's just really, really crazy to watch him come through and, and do that week after week, you know, this winger. Who, who we've taken from Juventus, who's not really doing much in Italy, and just a bit of a Wenger sprinkle. Yeah, I think he can be a striker. There he goes. And, you know, you have Wenger's, Wenger's magic, having you convinced that he could do the same with Theo Walcott for the next 10 years. <laughs> Come on, you could do it. Play him up front. He could be Henri. No, he can't. Henri was something else. He he really was and just just a, a joy to watch. And, you know, when when he was in that zone where he would just terrorise, absolutely terrorise the best defenders in the world. You know, I, you know, uh, one thing always sticks out to me was that was the time that he just, you know, he beat by Jamie Carragher in a 30-yard race, giving him a 25-yard head start. And, you know, it was just insane, that burst that, that, that he had and how he could terrorise a defender. And, you know, and then terrorise a keeper with shots that were out of this world, you know, free kicks. Penalties we should probably say less about, especially when Perez was involved. But, you know, it, it's, you know, to even try that just shows you what kind of level they were on at, uh, during those years when they were playing together and both in their absolute prime. I think, you know, if you look at the all-time Premier League, you know, goal scoring list, you know, Henri... You know, 175 goals in 258 games. He's got the best goals per game ratio of all of them. Uh, so he scores 0.68 goals per game. Only Aguero um, is anywhere near that. So Aguero, 0.67. And the thing about Henri is that he sort of was very, very prolific. And then you watch the goals back and they are kind of either you know, 25-yard curlers every game or all those kind of very clever one-on-ones with a keeper where they curl it around the keeper from the left-hand side. There aren't many tap-ins in there. I think that's probably what, you know, and I think you could say the same thing about Cristiano Ronaldo in his first Premier League 
spell, not not this time so much, but the first one he had. Weren't just that he scored a lot of goals, they were brilliant goals as well. And you just had to stand back and applaud sometimes. And, and, you know, there was that ridiculous goal he scored against us where he literally just took it around the whole team. And it was kind of like a Maradona-esque type of goal. And even as an opposition fan, you just have to stand back and applaud that, really. I remember feeling the same way about, like, you know, a goal that Ryan Giggs scored against us uh, in his, you know, kind of early teenage Tyro phase where he um, just sprinted through the whole defence and went round the keeper and sort of sussed it in our angle. And you're just like, well, that was just brilliant. You can't really do much about that, can you? And, and that was the thing with Henri. Uh, thank God was, he never did that again. It, but it, it was literally like holding your, yeah, quite. But it was literally like holding your hands up and saying, well, you know, you, you can't legislate for that. I think the nearest thing to this Henri season that I can think of was that mad Luis Suarez season for Liverpool when they almost won the league. Yeah, yeah. When Suarez was just absolutely on another planet. Every game, it, it's he was going to look like he was going to score four or five absolute, ridiculous, world-class goals. And that's what Henri was this season. He was on a on a different level. And that was another one of those seasons where you're not just watching to find out what happened with the games. You're not just watching to see your own team. You're watching to see what he did. You know, Suarez, Suarez in that year was marquee. He was a reason to tune into Match of the Day all on his own. Uh, it goes to cycle back to Henri for a set. One of the games that I remember was they smashed Liverpool, I think. Uh, probably at home because they, because they scored like four goals. One of them, Henri does dance around pretty much half the team and sticks it in. And the finish is very much that kind of classic one where, you know, he's coming in from the left. You might normally kind of associate it with you've knocked it past him and he uses his pace, but you just beat all these players in the run-up to get to that kind of opportunity to finish it like that. It was just remarkable. Yeah, he was he was uh, ice cold in those situations as well. And I think also you you kind of think about what, what he did with France around the period as well. You know, obviously like, he was a young kid in 98 kind of playing off the uh, off the right wing and then you you have him in his in his in his prime at Euro 2000 and he he was very very good in that tournament they had the disappointment in, in 2002 you know and then again sort of 2004 it kind of you know looked good in the group stages and then kind of didn't go anywhere but then you know 2006 him and Zidane rolled back the years you know so you, you, it's interesting to look at his international career going along at the same time and every time he got to watch Thierry Henry on, the, on, on a football pitch it was just it, it was just a pleasure it was a difficult time really to be a Spurs fan because you had this Arsenal team that everybody recognises playing brilliant football and there's nothing else you could do other than also stand back and say they're playing brilliant football yeah I think one of the things that we like on here rather than talking about modern football is that so much of it was a bit more joyful back then. And this team is one of those sides that really embodied that. Henri in particular, the way he played, the, it wasn't like like the Messi and Ronaldo thing where they rack it up, all these goals and trophies and so on. But there's not really much joy in it. Uh, whenever people were talking about who's better, Henri or Ronaldinho back then, it was because they played with such kind of jaw-dropping elegance and you know just spirit and oh, I, I don't know how else to describe it really just that kind of you know joy of the game and it just made you want to watch it with a smile on your face even if they did silly things against you sometimes 
one of the unsung heroes, I guess, of the the invincible streak, if you like, is probably Jose Antonio Reyes. Now, his career didn't work out for him as quite as he would have wanted at Arsenal after looking like he was going to be the next big thing, the next big part of the team. He was obviously sold on when the form started to dip and he had a good career, but it was never quite what it was going to be. Uh, I just wanted to pay a quick tribute for a minute, though, because at the end of this season, he was still in that mode where he looks like he was going to catch fire. And it's his equaliser against Portsmouth after Yakubu put them ahead that actually kept that streak going and they were able to kind of see out the rest of the, the year. So without Reyes... Uh, forgotten as he probably is to a lot of fans, they would have lost that invincible streak with like only three games to go, which would have been pretty devastating for a lot of Arsenal fans, I'm sure. Yeah, it would have been it would have been a bad time. I mean, uh, I, I do love Reyes. I actually, my favourite Reyes memory as a as an Arsenal player was actually his red card the next year in the FA Cup final, where he I can't even remember who it was he called back, but. Whoever it was, it was on the halfway line, but they were from goal. That's it. The game would have been over at that point if he let them through. Pretty much so. Not many United players, even by 05, uh, wouldn't have that uh, pure cold coldness of uh, finishing to be through one on one and then pop it away. He pulled him down, got himself a red card. But you know, as far as I'm concerned, that 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 got us to penalties. It is funny the. The memories that we have of some of these players, but they all count, don't they? So uh, I think that's probably about as good a place as any to, to wrap this up. Unless there's any last thoughts, uh, we are next tie out going to be crossing over to the other side of North London with a team that's probably a little bit less uh, known for its quality, but an absolute madcap team and one that has gone down in, in our memories for all the right kind of reasons. Uh, we're going to be talking Tottenham and five up front. So until then, uh, take care. We'll see you soon. If you enjoyed this week's show, you can find more of us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, or whatever your regular podcast provider is. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. You can also keep up with us on Twitter at 4ATBPOD, 4 at the back pod. Thanks for listening.